This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome everybody to the show. I am Alex Goff with Rugby Magazine and RugbyMag.com. It's great to have you here and we have a great show for you this time. And also, of course, on the show is Bruce McLean. How you doing, Bruce? I'm excellent, Alex. I've never seen you so chipper when you introduced the show. This is very a, chipper. The new for, Alex. The new Alex. It's snowing. It's snowing, snowing. So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, it's gonna snow here, and I'm not excited about it. Um, <laughs> fat and snow doesn't really mix well. You'll feel like a goddamn abominable snowman. Anyway, that all being said, what a show we got on tap. We had the coaches. Now we got a captain, Matt Hawkins. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Matt Hawkins, captains of the USA Sevens team. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Well, Matt, thanks a lot for being on the show. It's great to have you here. And, of course, you're getting ready for the next assembly for the USA Sevens team. You're going to be uh, coming together to get ready for Wellington. And then, of course, the USA Sevens in Las Vegas. And we look back on last year's tournament. And the interesting thing about that, you as a, as a prop, prop don't – Props don't normally score a huge amount of points, even in sevens. But you led the USA in tries with six at that tournament. And uh, how, how did that come about? Um, I think that's the uh, very fortunate part about sevens is that everyone gets, you know, a lot of opportunity with the ball in hand. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And my teammates had done a lot of hard work. And I just had to head toward the try line and managed to get there. And I think, uh, you know, a try that sort of, depicted that well was uh, Mark Obama's, uh sort of break in the final against France where he broke, I think, from our 10 meter and ended up getting tackled, I think, five meters short. And Paul Emmerich was right behind and cleared out, and I literally just had to pick up the ball and walk over the line. So it just was one of those moments for me, thank goodness. Now, I remember that try. That was a really great try, and, and one of the things that struck me was, in fact, uh, Paul Emmerich's clear out there. Where he went all the way in there and, and knocked a couple of French guys on their backs to uh, secure the ball. It was uh, pretty impressive, and you know he didn't really worry about the ball uh, so much as winning it for his team. It was a good team play, and with uh, uh, talk that Emmerich may be available for the camp, and obviously then Wellington and, New, and, and uh, Las Vegas coming up, what kind of attributes does uh, Paul bring to the team if he's available um, you, you want to have a lot of consistency in the squad going through the season but then again if you want to add, if you can add somebody with the experience of someone like Paul Emmerich well you know that's always a good thing I think uh, you know first off as far as consistency goes I think when we look at consistency we look at more consistency you know within the squad as far as the 20 guys that assemble at each camp you know, if we can have the same 20 guys that assemble each time, you know, that's the consistency that we want so that each camp we're able to grow and sort of work on more and not have to sort of go back to square one and bring, you know, the two or three players that haven't been involved, you know, from the beginning back to where, you know, they start with us again and we build with them all over again, you know. So having the consistency in the same 20 players allows us to, you know, continually build throughout the series. But, you know, a guy like Paul Emmerich is, is huge for us. You know, he brings a lot of rugby experience. And he's a great guy to have in camp. You know, he's always sort of cracking jokes and, you know, keeping the boys alive. So having him back will be very valuable to us. You've had some players who've been around for quite a while. Um, I just had a nice chat with Shalom Suniula, who is really developing into uh, a pretty, a very effective player. And, um, you know, he's still very young, but he was incredibly young when he started playing with the team. He was the only guy to play in every 
uh, World Series tournament last year, and he's played within the first two this time. Uh, what what is your role in in terms of helping players like Shalom uh, or even Mile Pulu go from being a young deer cotton headlights kind of player into uh, you know, a steady performer who who you know is going to be there every every tournament and and playing better and better. Well, I think you know from from when I you know originally joined the guys sort of back four years ago. Um, you know, everyone you know when you're when you're an experienced player, you're a, a vet in the side. You want to bring those younger guys up, you know, to where you are and get them you know involved as much and as comfortable as possible. Because you know, as soon as they get to play their game and they're comfortable with what they're doing out on the field the more it's going to work for you as a team, you know. So I think overall, um, obviously, you know, the team has changed and, and what we're doing at this tournament has changed. So I think, you know, what's happened is there's been, you know, better youngsters like Shalom and Mile that have been coming into, you know, the squad, which has been amazing. But at the same time, I think the guys that have been around have actually done a, a much better job of bringing the guys up to speed, you know, a lot quicker than it has been in the past, just because we've had to. But at the same time, as you spoke about, you know, we're a core team now, so we go to eight events each year, you know, when our first joined, I think we went to four or five, you know, which makes a huge difference. So I think, you know, from the young guys that are joining in and, you know, as you as you said, you know, with Shalom, he's, he's completely grown over the last sort of two, three years and become an unbelievable player. So, you know, if we can keep doing that and each guy can sort of come into their own and we can have that great mix between experience and, you know, sort of the newer guys, uh, you know, that's what we're looking for, and it's going to, you know, sort of lend itself to a great squad, but also a great team sort of unity, and hopefully, you know, bigger and better things for the USA 17. Matt, how do you develop the trust that's necessary? Not, not so much saying the trust in yourself as a player, but being able to trust in each other. Because you, you really can't be a champion until all of the 12 players in the, in the team trust each other and trust that they know that the other guy is going to be is going to do his job so they can just focus on their own job and kind of play in the moment how do you get that working what are you what steps have you been taking as a team toward that well i I think that's something that you know you can't read in a textbook and there's not a sort of uh follow these five steps on you and you you get trust within your team um i think that's something that just develops over time but at the same time i think it's something that the more the guys spend time around each other sort of outside of, you know, sort of drills and practice and things like that, you get to know a player. You get to know him as a person, not as someone that, hey, you know, you want the short ball on the left or whatever it is. And so I think, you know, once you get to know each other socially and you get to know each other, you know, who's Matt Hawkins, who's Shalom, who's Mark Barkhoven, whoever it is, when you get to know those people and they actually become a friend and not just a teammate, it's a completely different story, and I think that's where that trust comes from, and that that's where that team unity comes from, and I think that's where, you know, you've seen sort of over the years, it's really developed with us because we've managed to sort of have more people coming back each time and creating, you know, a stronger unit within, you know, sort of the core of the team, and and that's where you see, you know, a lot of the sort of top line teams are, you know, they've always got that because they spend sort of six, seven, sometimes eight months living together when we go through the series. And so they've, they've cultivated that, you know, that environment of trust and, you know, sort of a real sort of friendship and unity amongst the team that, you know, is very hard to come by. Well, on that, and, and, and even, and, and, I, and I totally agree with you 100%. Um, I wanted to move into the training environment. 
what is the most valuable stuff that you guys do in training? Like, is it simulated games, rough touch games, seven on five games, things of that nature? And if you could just talk us through some of the things that you find to be incredibly valuable, just so that some aspiring coaches, young coaches, aspiring players can maybe hear what you have to say about that. Um, I think, you know, a key to any good rugby team is your absolute basics. And um, when you think about it, you know, if you go out, you know, I'm very fortunate that I help out a lot of sort of high school kids and youth kids. And, you know, passing a ball from A to B or down a back line, you know, but the right way as far as putting it in front of a guy, putting it, you know, sort of at a target in his hand, you know, sort of chest high, those sorts of things are things that, you know, no one's perfect and everyone's going to make a mistake. But if you can have your basics, you know, completely down and you understand what you're trying to do when you're doing certain drills, whether it's, you know, same with, you know, when you're rucking, when you're tackling, all those sorts of things, there's, there's basics that you need to know how to do. And if you can do them well, when you get into games and you're in, you know, tight situations and there's just a lot going on and everyone's sort of, you know, panicking and there's, there's a bunch of stuff, you know, happening on the field that you're not in control of, you're able as a player and as a team to resort back to those basics. And if you can play your basics well, you're going to be a great team and a great player. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing I think I would say to any coach or any player is, you know, you can always build on your game, but if you've got those basics, that's what you need as a player to develop and move on, you know, higher and, you know, to keep going. And as I say, there's no player out there that's perfect. There's great players, but no one's perfect. So you're going to make mistakes. But if you've got those basics to sort of ground you and allow you to build on and become a better player, you know, that's what you're looking for. Now, talking about that, Matt, one of the things about, uh, the, you know, it's, it's a great thing that the, the USA 7 is going to be on NBC. It's going to be on TV. More people, more kids, uh, younger players are able to see the game on television. Um, but they, what they also see are the professionals and the international level players sometimes not do sort of the basic things the way that that most coaches would teach them. You know, you, you see something as simple as picking up the ball. We all know that players are taught to turn their body sideways, gather up the ball in a certain way so they don't knock it on. But uh, when you see on the international level uh, players not doing that, I just find that um, that's fine because they, they have the ability perhaps to, I don't know, cut corners. What what can you say to the young players who are looking at internationals, perhaps not doing those type of basic moves, uh, and and why should they worry about doing the basics right? Yeah, but I think that that's where I say you need the basics as a groundwork. You need if you don't have good basic skills, if you don't know as you say how to pick up a ball correctly with two hands off a deck, or you know pass a ball in front of a player, I can pass a ball. But I could pass it two feet above him. I could pass it his ankles. I could pass it behind him. I'm still getting the ball from A to B, but I'm not passing it well. So when I mean basics, I mean if you understand your basics and you have your basics down, it it allows you as a player to develop and be able to, you know, take that basic, that one next step or two or three or four next steps. But if you don't have that basic groundwork, if you don't have your basics down pat, you, you're never able to develop. And what you start doing is you develop bad habits, and those bad habits, you know, as much as you you would like them not to, they're going to follow you, and they're going to stay with you, and they become bad habits that are part of you as a player. And, you know, also the same thing on a team side of things. 
if you don't develop, you know, your basics well as a team, it's something that's going to be part of your game as a team, and it's it's going to become bad habits and things that you do bad as a team. Alex, I think that I think that that in order to be a complete at the international level, or as you move up any level, as you as you go into better competitions, you need to have a more complete game. If you have a limited game. Where if, if you say, for instance, a guy is not a very good tackle or he can't pass off his left or he can't make a scrum half pass or he can't catch a re or he struggles catching restarts, those types of things make you become you become a predictable player. They know that if, if, if you can't pass off your left hand, if there's people outside of you on your right, you're trucking the ball up and they can double you up on a tackle and really smash and possibly get a turnover out of it. There's, and, and if you can't make a scrum half pass. That you're gonna have, your team is now gonna have to commit an extra player to the ruck, or you're gonna have no other option but to run. So those types of things, if you if you have a complete game, you become more difficult to beat. On top of that, your players, your teammates, don't have to worry about whether or not you're a poor defender or you can't pass one way or the other. So they don't have to adjust their game to compensate for a lack of ability. Or a lack of skill on the part of one of the players, and I think that's where you were going with that, man. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, you know, all I'm trying to say is that you know, if you watch us when we train and when we warm up, you know, we work on basics. We work on basic, you know, passing drills and things like that because, you know, as players you can develop. But if you don't have that, you know, that grounding, it's the same if you're putting up a building. You know, if your if your grounding isn't where it needs to be and isn't structurally safe, when you put that building on top of it. There's a lot more susceptibility for that thing to fall apart, and that's that's what I'm trying to say. Is that if you have your ground, if you have your basics, you can grow off that, and you can become a better player, and you can put more building blocks on top of that. But if you don't have that base work, you know, you really don't have a lot. I have a I have another question, as fifteens and sevens. I mean, and believe me, I, I'm not in the I'm not in the majority here. I I do think that. There's going to be a lot more specialization in sevens, especially as the Olympics comes forward. I think that sevens is going to change to the point where you you're going to have to be so you're going to have to be very fast. You're going to have to be very quick, and you're going to have to have an enormous amount of skill that you can hide in 15s. You don't like you could hide a guy. Not being quite as fast, but he has a good work rate. You can hide, but I think that as in, in sevens, it's hard to hide that. You know, you play a Fijian team and they and they have great speed. As we saw when even with Puget Sound in fifteens, they have they had great speed from sevens players. We couldn't cope with them. And I was talking to Tim O'Brien actually today, and we were talking about those guys, and I, I was like, it almost felt like every time they touched the ball, they could score. And they're not even the best in their country. So, yeah. I th- do you see uh, long-winded? Do you think sevens and fifteens are going to specialize? And do you think players are going to cross over into fifteens outside of being maybe a wing, possibly a fullback if he can kick, but probably more likely just a wing? Yeah, I, th- I think you know as as sevens has progressed, even over the last sort of ten, twelve years, you know, one, you know, that the series has been going, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that, you know. Each year, it's sort of been whipping down as far as the people that are crossing over, and it's getting less and less and less. And as you know, as you say, you know, I don't see many players crossing over 
outside of your wings and your fullbacks. And I think it, you know, I think in this country it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, where players start. You know, as far as the specialising goes, you know, will players start, you know, 15s and move their way into sevens, or will it be a sevens moving into 15s? And I think, you know, as we've seen, I think it's going to be one of those things where, you know, especially college kids are really going to shoot to make a sevens team and go win a gold medal. Um, you know, whether it be at the Pan Am Games or be at the Olympics. And then from there, I think you'll see players then develop, you know, into that 15s game to sort of continue their game and play their game more socially, but, you know, have a lengthier career because you don't really have a, a very lengthy career when it comes to seven, just purely because of those aspects that you spoke about. Well, I actually, I, Alex and I will probably do a show on this in, is, is it better to start high schools or youth in sevens because in fifteens there's just so many complicated things happening with you know scrums yeah. and lineouts and and all these ty- so we're gonna we're gonna get into that and probably have have panelists on both sides to say what they think um oddly enough, I would come out on the side of I think you should start with sevens and build in the fifteens as you get a as you get a bigger program and and things like that but uh, I, I probably would be in the minority there. I, if, if, so would I, it'd be, be yeah, you probably you certainly would. Too many props out there, coaching. Oh, no, 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 no. Even even, you. even if there's pro- like even if there's props or play, it, the fact is when you have 50 kids, it is very difficult when you have one coach to teach those very very important basic skills. It takes a lot of time when. The reality is, let's just get them playing. And, yeah. you know, a monkey can lift in the line out in, a, a, you know, in a, in a seven style line out. But, you know, there's, there's different, there's different things that you can, I mean, <clears throat> I'm saying you, you could do it and, and the scrums are less complicated. It just makes it so much easier to play. And then the kids play and enjoy it. Then obviously there's going to be guys who, are not physically capable of being effective sevens players, but at least they know how to play rugby and they, they know how to really have to deal with space and defense and all that. Then they can move into the 15s game when you get more coaches. The problem is, like even at Xavier, we have 14 coaches for 120 kids. At the AC, we have five coaches. And, and Mike and I go crazy if one of them isn't there. It just drives us crazy. And we have five coaches for 40 guys, 35 guys. So, I mean, that's, that's, because in yeah. order to coach it well, you have, you have to have kind of a good coach to player ratio. So I think, um, that, I think sevens would be more important, but. Bringing, uh, Hawk back into it just for a second, Matt, the, yeah. you, you, obviously your, you, you started, well, I don't know. You, you started as a 15s player, I imagine, in South Africa, uh, sort of a more traditional way of, of starting things and, and and maybe you're you're becoming the a last of a of a kind where you are a you're a, you're a loose forward in 15s and um and, and you know we talk about the crossover from uh from you know being for for wings and fullbacks and, and maybe you're outside center but uh you you're a loose forward in 15s grown up in 15s and now you're uh, do you see yourself as a seven specialist i mean you did play for the the usa selects in the arc uh had been pushing for a usa uh, position you did play in the churchill cup so um where do you see yourself and 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 your development and 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 is your background kind of going to be phased out um 
Yeah, I think it's tough. You know, I honestly, I I never played sevens until I came to this country. Um, so fifteens was I was very sort of heavy into fifteens um, back in South Africa, but you know, sort of was introduced to the game. You know, once I got here, and uh, you know, I knew about sevens and things like that. And my father had been over to the Hong Kong sevens a couple of times to see it, so I knew about it, but I just never played it. It wasn't. Um, you know, the schools that I went to, it wasn't part of their sort of curriculum as far as rugby goes. And um, I think, you know, I'm lucky enough in a way that right now, you know, in the United States, you know, the the rugby that I play on the IB7 series, you know, if, if I compared myself to, you know, guys that were playing, for example, at the highest level here within the States, you know, the Super League, I think, you know, sort of, the amount of rugby that I play and the training that we do away at camp and, you know, when we're in tournaments and stuff, it, it allows me to, to sort of play at a really high level. And I'm not saying it's the same as playing, you know, you know, like guys playing overseas and, you know, whether it be, you know, in Europe or wherever they're playing. Um, but I'm definitely playing at a high level of rugby. And so when it comes to, you know, getting the opportunity and also the exposure to coaches and things like that when it comes to the 15s, you know, I, I'm still that helps me um, when it comes to the 15s. Um, but I, as I say, I think that's going to change, and I think you know, uh, you know, as you say, it's, that's that's starting to die. It's just lucky enough that you know things haven't evolved as quickly with the 15s game on a club level here in the states, which allows me to sort of still do that crossover. And as far as you know. Am I a seven specialist? You know, to be honest, I, you know, I don't know what a seven specialist is. So to categorize myself <laughs> yeah. as, as someone like that, I, I don't quite, you know, I, I don't know. If you had to look at how many sevens games and how many sevens trainings I had done versus 15s games and 15s trainings over the last sort of three, four years, you know, yes, of course, my sevens far outweighs my 15s. Uh, but as far as, you know, what I'm able to do on a 15th field and seventh field, and am I effective in, in my roles? You know, you, you would have to talk to the coaches as far as that goes. But, you know, you know, as long as I get the opportunity to play rugby, I'm going to play, whether it be 7th or 15th. So I'll just take every opportunity I get. If you were going to have a Matt Hawkins program for developing crossover athletes, what yeah. would it be? I think the, the biggest thing with crossover athletes, and I, and I think it's, you know, a lot of people have spoken about it. You know, they are great athletes. If you look at them on a piece of paper, their 40 time, how many times they can bench press, 220 or whatever it is, their vertical leap, things like that, you know, their black and white stats, as I like to call them, are great, and they are great athletes. But unfortunately, when it comes to the rugby world, some of that translates, but some of that doesn't. In rugby, you have to be able to anticipate and you have to be able to just play the game. And the only way you're able to really learn a lot of how, you know, to play the game as far as rugby goes is by, you know, a lot of time playing. You can spend a lot of time doing drills and training to pass and things like that, and obviously that's going to help the groundwork. As I've, you know, previously said, it's going to help your basics and it's going to help you develop as a player. But that next step is learning how to play the game and anticipate when, you know, Certain people take off and they're going to go into a tackle. They're going to look for the offload. Other people are going to go into a tackle and they're going to go to the ground. Whatever it is, you have to learn to sort of anticipate and sort of play the game. You know, once that scrum's happened or once that line-out's happened, 
you may not come back to a scrum or a lineup for the next five minutes. So you have to know how to play that next five minutes without, you know, sort of looking over the coach or having a look at a playbook or, you know, getting into a group huddle. You don't have those opportunities in rugby. And so for me, I would try and get them to be playing as much as possible and as much exposure to playing the game, whether it be sevens, whether it be fifteens, whatever it is, just get out there and play as much as you can because the only way you're going to learn is by spending time actually playing. Well, if we talk about crossovers, normally what we're talking about are players who've been uh, brought into rugby from from football, and you know we've had several players come and do it, and, and sometimes they've 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 done well because I, I think they've been put into a position to succeed. Like you look at Benny Brazel, whose first touch for the USA, he scored a try. Now, part of that was because he was put out on the wing and they, everything was set up on a on a first phase possession to get it to get him in space so he could score. Uh, but then you look at someone like Leonard Peters, who sort of had to, you know, um, really work hard to get his, his himself to where he, he was playing really well. But it took a little bit longer, partly because of, of the type of position, he, type of player he is. So is there something about some players, like like, like Miles Craigwell has been playing really well so far, is there something about some of the crossover players over and above them being a good athlete that keeps them on the team or, or gets them on the team? And and conversely, on the club level, there are players who are, are, are very knowledgeable and work very hard, but they struggle to get on this team. And uh, um, is there something that they're not doing that they need to take care of? Um. You know, to be very honest with you, I can't answer that because I'm a person <laughs> I don't make selections. Um, all that I can say, really and truly, all that I can say is that, you know, the guys are coming into camp and, you know, they are doing everything they can to put their best foot forward. And if they get the chance, you know, like, you know, you mentioned a bunch of the guys have, Lenny, Benny, Miles, if they get the chance, if they take it and they give the team 120%, you know, whether it be a training, whether it be you know, playing a game off the field, if they're giving 120%, the guys will respect that and they'll appreciate that. And, you know, I think that as a teammate, that's all you're looking for. But, you know, as far as how they're making the team and what they're doing, I, you know, I don't have any say in that. What are your, what's the prognosis? We spoke to Al a little bit about this. How are you going to go about getting the team to, to be in that first tier? Meaning, you know, I, 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 Alex did a, a little bit of a breakdown that 43 of the 64 quarterfinal spots went to five or six teams. How are you going to be one of those teams that's always in the quarters, playing playing for money? Like, what what well, is it that the U.S. needs to do to get to that? I, I obviously, I, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I'd like to hear it from you. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know... Um, the big thing that you know everyone wants is, is obviously a larger budget. That would be great. But I think for us, to be honest, I mean, what we're doing and what we have done over the last couple of years for the limited resources that we've had has been amazing. Um, but I think we definitely know we can do more and we want to do more. And I think that's the biggest thing. As long as the players and the, the squad as a whole has that drive to do more and get more out of every time you know they take their field, you know, that's what we're looking for. But I think for us, really and truly, it's, you know, more time together. You know, more tournaments we can play. You know, for me, for example, last year, going into Wellington and Vegas, you know, I played Dubai and George, but I'd also played in a tournament down in Argentina, and I played in a tournament in Fiji. 
And so I had four tournaments under my belt, you know, playing with a lot of the guys that, you know, I was going to play with in Wellington and in Vegas, and it makes a huge difference. So I think the more time we can get together, whether it be training or whether it be at tournaments, preferably at tournaments, the better for us. And I think, you know, if we're able to do that, I think we're going to become a lot more consistent as a team. And in doing that, we're going to jump into, you know, that sort of, you know, hopefully top four teams you know, in the world. Cause you, you said, uh, well, Al said that, um, playing tournaments is, is more, is more beneficial than just going to camp and playing scrimmages against uh, a local team. And, and, and the players have said, you know, bringing in on or Belmont shore to play against the, the USA at Chula Vista, it really doesn't help us in quite the same way that playing in a tournament, uh, does is that is is that right? Hundred percent, and it's 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 got a lot more to do with the fact that you know when you're playing a tournament, you've got to address your first day and your feet opposition, you know, teams that you're against. You know, it's about looking after your body. It's about you know, you know, we get into a game and one game, you know, we are ten points up with two minutes to go, and we've got to hold on to that lead. And then there might be another game where we ten points down with two minutes to go. We've got to, you know, sort of do everything we can to get that win. So it puts you in different situations, and you've got to react. And you, you know, in doing that, you become a better team. But at the same time, you become a much stronger team, and you learn that trust and that understanding of, you know, your other eleven, twelve teammates, whatever it may be, and that makes you a better player as a whole, but also a better team. And so, bringing in guys to play a scrimmage match, it's, you know. Nothing against the team that we're playing against. It just doesn't put us in the same situation that you put in in a tournament. And that tournament is, you know, that's what we need. We need those tournament conditions because that's what the RV7 series is. It's, you know, it's, it's tournament play. It's not one-off games. Matt, how important is it to the guys on the team to have the opportunity to be one of the – to have a home event? Las Vegas, you have a home uh, event. I think it's absolutely huge. There's – you know, as you said, there's, you know, generally 16 teams on the circuit, you know, at each tournament. And I think in a whole, and I'm, you know, I may be wrong here, but I think there's sort of 25 or 30 teams that partake in all the tournaments over the year, uh, or over the six months. And for us to have one of the eight tournaments and the fact that it is also the USA, you know, we're not yet a huge powerhouse. It's unbelievable. And there's nothing better than coming home and playing in front of your home crowd because no matter who you run out against, those people and those fans, uh, our fans are going to be screaming louder than anyone else. And that's, you know, for us as a team and, and as a player, to hear that, it's, you know, it just gets so much more out of you and you as a team give everything that you have to pull that one out and do what you got to do. Now, Matt, you're right about the, the fact that it's rare for the USA to have a home tournament. That's a great thing for them and get, and get the crowd behind them. And, and of course, you know, when you talk about... Um, you know, being excited to play for the USA. Uh, if people listening, they didn't know. You know, they listening to your accent. You were born and raised in South Africa, and that's where you learned your rugby. And but you're now the captain of the United States, and we've talked before about what it means to put on that jersey and what it means to uh, be captain of the USA team. And talk a little bit about what it means to you. No, it is it is a very special thing, and and as you said, yes, I wasn't born. America, but you know, I live in America now, and and this is where I plan to live the rest of my life. I've had 
two boys that have been born here in the States, and they both got their American passports. My wife is American, and actually the rest of my family is actually immigrated over to the States. So we're all here, and, um, you know, for me, there's nothing there's nothing more special than putting on that USA jersey and, and representing the USA. And the fact that I have the, the honor of capturing the side is, is something really, really special to me and, and something that I, I will treasure forever. Well, you know, it is a rarity for the USA fans to be able to see their sevens team play on American soil. And we've got to be uh, feeling very fortunate that we get this tournament because, like you said, Matt, a lot of other teams don't get this opportunity to have their teams play in the IRB series on home soil. And in Las Vegas, February 12th and 13th, it's a great opportunity not only to just see the event and be part of it, but cheer on the Eagles. And Matt Hawkins, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this show. We really enjoyed having you on. And we had a few technical difficulties, so we also appreciate your patience with us as we uh, uh, dealt with those. But Matt, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. And before we go, Bruce McLean, anything to add? Matt, good luck in the good luck in Wellington, good luck in Vegas. I uh, hope that everyone comes out and enjoys the Las Vegas uh, experience, the rugby and Las Vegas experience. And I'll tell you, um, Matt, you were a terrific guest, and I thank you very much. You were, you were a great, great guest. Excellent. Just from my side, just thank you so much for taking the time. And, you know, anytime uh, I get to chat to, you know, you guys and get the word out about the seventh team and the squad and, and what we're doing, we really appreciate it. And, yeah, to everyone out there, please, if you've got even a 5% sort of interest in what's going on in Vegas over the 12th and 13th of February, get out there and come and have a look because we'll get you coming back each year. That is perfect. Matt Hawkins, couldn't put it better myself. Matt, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, gents. Cheers. Okay, so Bruce, one of the things that's going on is that the USA Rugby Women's National Team program has come out with their new high-performance plan, and we've brought in uh, my esteemed Rugby Magazine colleague, Jackie Finland, uh, to tell us a little bit about what's going on with that. And hey, Jackie. Hi. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show. And uh, USA Rugby came out with their new high-performance plan. We've been waiting quite a while for it to see what they were going to do uh, with the women's national team after the Women's World Cup. And they announced it yesterday. You'd been uh, going back and forth with some of the people involved. And, uh, and and give us some of the highlights. Yeah, they touch on a few tenants. Um, basically, they're keeping intact the January camps, which they're going to use as like their major um, like showcase for uh, athletes that they've identified recently. And that's going to start on January 14th through 17th. And the interesting thing there is that all of the national team coaches are going to be there. It's not just 15s. It's not just 7s. It's um, the under-20s. And they're all going to be looking at the same athletes. So they all kind of get to pick and choose and see who fits where the best. And then from that camp, they're initiating these player academies. It doesn't go into too much detail what is entailed here, other than it's a senior, collegiate, and high school academy level. And you just get perpetual assessment and uh, feedback throughout the year, which, you know, is kind of exciting because one thing you always hear from the national team coaches is that in between assemblies, you, you know, you spend the first couple of days getting everybody on the same page, you have them for 
a couple sessions, they go back to their home club and they pick up all their bad habits. So hopefully that bridges that gap. Um, now, that's also opens up the opportunity for players to to break into the the program. And the, the people who were invited into this, this first camp in January, they're not the only ones who can make the national team. There's There's doors open throughout the year then. Right. They said, I mean, they made it pretty obvious that the people who are in the academies have the best shot of making or, you know, for selections, but there are also open trials, performance at uh, domestic events, you know, you'll still be seen. But I imagine if you're investing all this time and energy and people in the academies are probably going to get preference. So it was kind of like, you know, try out for those all-star teams, get seen, get into the academy. What, what about the, the feeling that's been bounced around a little bit that the, the women's sevens program has been marginalized, they really didn't do much last year, and, uh, you know, people talking about there being sort of a, a schism or a schism, if you will, between 15s and sevens? Yeah, I think it was a bit of the timing. Alex Williams spoke to that a little bit because um, she was aware of the scrutiny, and Around the Sevens World Cup, uh, you know, a lot of energy was placed on the Sevens program. And then as soon as that ended, all the energy funneled toward the Fifteens program. So I think it was a timing issue right there. Um, USA Rugby has only confirmed that the Sevens team is doing uh, USA Sevens this year. And I think the Fifteens team only has the Nations Cup lined up this year. So you were the extra dollar. So, so everyone's marginalized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Bruce? Yeah, I, I I think that it it's going to be a real interesting dynamic how this how this works out um, with the academy system, which I which lead it, I think it's kind of like the what what they're doing with the men's HP, where they're just kind of following up on the guys via the phone, and I, I can't imagine that they're going to be somewhere physically in an academy. They may they may have a little bit of time together over the over the course. There's there's no money. There's no money for it, and and the women have always gotten short shrift, and uh, and they're then they're gonna. They're, I would imagine they're gonna continue. The thing is this: how is the under twenties coach? How are they gonna interact with the um, with the national team coaches, the sevens coaches? Everybody has a different style, and everybody has a different philosophy. Now, whether or not they're all in sync, I I could be wrong. I, I think that Steinberg's been around for a while. Uh, I don't know the guy from Beantown. Um, I don't know Suggett, but I know from friends of mine who know him that he's a terrific, terrific coach, and they really have a high regard for him. So I think that hopefully they take a lot and learn a lot from Suggett and his experiences because Suggett is is a quality sevens coach and he's also a quality 15s coach and he understands a high performance environment and I think he understands how to win games and how to put teams together and I and that will be very helpful at the end of the day they're going to have to find people and 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 develop athletes who could play in the skill positions and develop tough guys who can play in the other positions and perform. And I think that they want to play a complete 15-man game or 15-woman game. And I think that what we need to do is focus on how are we going to beat New Zealand and England? Because we're capable of doing it. I think that if we well, – Well, what, what about that, Jackie? What about looking for the, the athletes? Well, I think – one thing about the player academy is, is that it does introduce these – like a high school academy is going to be introduced in 2012. And I think that kind of introduced 
them to the regimen and like what's going to be expected if you want to be in a collegiate academy and a senior academy and maybe that'll push them like after four years in high school and then maybe two years in college they realize they can play with a senior club so they leave their college team play for the local senior club and like start enriching their experience I mean I know that's one thing that Alex Williams had brought up like if you look at England a lot of their under 20s are playing with senior clubs so it's just natural, and I don't think that's anything that would necessarily cross the mind of a younger player here, even if they did have the ability to play up. Yeah, that's true. They get sort of stuck in there. And in a lot of cases, it's unrealistic to have someone move and play for a senior club because there just aren't enough senior clubs for the kids to go play for. And and I and I would also say that if you're at a and and in your main programs that are going to be putting people into the collegiate academies would be Penn State and Stanford, I would imagine. And if you're if you're playing for them, if you're at Stanford, you can obviously play for the Berkeley All Blues. If you're at Penn State, it's it's kind of a pain in the neck to go play in Philly or New York or Washington. You're still four hours away from all three of them. And and I and I think that they may be as good as many of the teams in the women's premier league and 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 i could be totally off base but i think that i think that they would be able to compete and win some games in it and i think that if they were were doing if they were in it a few years and i and i say this about like collegiate teams if they were in the super league i think that the men's teams would win initially but i think that the five day a week practice and once the players know what it takes to win they'll beat they'll beat the senior teams every time just because they have enough, they have the time to train and take it way more seriously than someone with a job. Well, uh, Jackie, I think you're going to be on top of this for uh, you know the rest of the year, keep, keeping an, an eye on what what not only what they do but uh, whether it works. So everybody, uh, keep in, keep on touch with uh, rugbymag.com and rugby magazine because Jackie Finlan will be on top of this the whole time. And Jackie, I know you've got to run, but we really appreciate you stopping by and uh, uh, giving us the skinny on the women's high performance program. No problem. I had fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks, right, Jackie. Thanks. Okay. Well, that was Jackie Finlan and just giving us a quick update. And uh, Bruce, obviously we've got to keep on top of this to see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I, I, the best thing to do in reality is, for us to get Alex Williams on the show and, and possibly have have Jackie interview Alex for the show and um and and I think that'll be the best way to go about it. So possibly we'll we'll look to tee that up. I know that Alex would be very amenable to being here, so I think that that'll be that'll be good. I think it'd be great, and I, I'm interested to see what happens along the way with regard to crossover athletes. I mean, it's, a, it's a big thing we talk about in terms of the men's side, but uh, women's side has crossover athletes too, and, and it, we don't talk about them as much because they're not crossover from the pros, but there are crossover athletes playing uh, for the national team and, and, and pushing for national team spots already. So I, I think it'd be interesting to t- keep a little bit better track of, of how they're doing and how they're uh, how how they're developed as athletes. Their crossover athletes actually work better than men's crossover athletes. Um, there, the, like w- women women's crossover athletes w- will work out better than men's crossover athletes because a lot of them come from basketball, a lot of them come from volleyball, a lot of them come from field hockey, a lot of them come from lacrosse. They're very similar types of games with a lot of the 
a lot of the movement skills that are that are there in rugby and some of the physicality and I think that that I think that it in in all reality that their crossover athletes probably will translate into success sooner than a male crossover athlete would. I think it'll take a little bit longer time to develop a male crossover athlete. Well, I think you're right. Good words from Bruce McLean. We're going to finish it up right there. We want to thank Matt Hawkins, USA 7's national team captain, for being on the show this time. And to Rugby Magazine's Jackie Finland, also to give us the rundown on what's happening with the women's high-performance program. And thanks to Bruce McLean also. For Bruce, I am Alex Goff with Rugby Magazine and RugbyMag.com. Thanking you for listening. And this is Rugga Matrix America. Thank you.